0: I'm Indiana University Tourism Professor Evan Jordan, and this is the Trip Doctor Podcast. That track is called Night Rise by Jens East. You can find it and more online at the Free Music Archive. One of the main motivations for travel is to experience the unknown. Some people to travel learn about new cultures, others travel to eat new food, still others travel to meet new people. You might think that people who have a dislike or prejudice against people from other places, also known as xenophobes, then wouldn't be interested in traveling to other countries. However. My guest on the podcast today, Dr. Florian Koch from the Copenhagen Business School has done a series of studies that says otherwise. He says that historically xenophobia is rooted in evolutionary biology and that in the past a fear of the other was actually a healthy response because people who were different could potentially be a threat. These days having a little bit of xenophobia is normal, but being aware of how you feel and reflecting on it can help you overcome your fears. And there are certain types of travel, like group tours, that can help you experience different cultures in a less risky way.
1: Xenophobia itself, it's a normal thing. It has some evolutionary roots and especially how it manifests in the tourism domain is something that is in most cases not very negative. It doesn't have negative consequences. But being aware of it, um, it might actually enable the very individual tourist to overcome it.
0: You do research on tourism destinations, destination image. And most recently, you've done research on xenophobia in tourism. And I'm thinking maybe some of our listeners might not know what xenophobia is. So can you just tell us to start off, what is xenophobia and what does that mean for for tourism?
1: So, Evan, um, xenophobia, actually... Uh, originated from the Greek words xenos, which means the foreigner, and phobos, which me- means fear or anxiety. So if we put these two words together, it actually means being afraid of foreigners, fear of foreigners. Fear of the unknown, fear of the stranger. So that is, that is what um, xenophobia represents. So when we put that into a psychological con- uh, con- context, because it originated from psychology and mostly social psychology, it is a negative attitude people have towards something that they don't know foreigners coming from a different culture. That is what we usually um, refer to when we talk about xenophobia. So some people might actually um, conflate it with racism. However, xenophobia is a broader concept. It doesn't only focus on race as one characteristic, right, of an individual, but it's um, understood in a broader context. So when when I heard about xenophobia the first time, and it was, was uh, when I was doing my PhD in Australia that I worked on xenophobia and racism and all the other isms as we refer to them, sexism and also ethnocentrism, um, I asked myself, well, we see a lot of xenophobia in the world. There's a change in the political climate where some politicians actually use the foreigner as a scapegoat or when people are afraid of foreigners so how does this political opinion actually color how we travel because when we travel we usually assume that people travel to foreign destination because they are fascinated with foreignness and they want to experience something they haven't been exposed to before like being at home being in their daily lives so I was I was interested in this connection does a xenophobic person actually travel and if yes how does he travel or how does she travel and that was the starting question of my research putting these two things together the political opinion of being afraid of foreigners right? and um travel so that was that was the starting question
0: And do you think because it would seem that xenophobia has been around for as long as there have been people that are different than each other. Yes. But it sounds like you're kind of saying that the political climate right now in a lot of different places around the world xenophobia is becoming kind of more popular or at least less frowned upon. Do you think that's correct?
1: I think that's correct. Maybe I have to say one thing. Um I'm often using literature that is uh, rooted in evolutionary theory, which, which is then evolutionary psychology. And from that point of view, xenophobia can be explained as a behavioral defense mechanism, right? Because it was usually the foreigner venturing into a new territory, fighting with people living there, spreading new diseases. We have seen that with the aborigines, right? When they got exposed to foreigners, they got exposed... To new um, to new diseases, we saw the same in Northern America with the Indians um, and the Europeans who who, who um, um, discovered North America. So usually, being xenophobic can be understood through an evolutionary lens as a defense mechanism. So that's why we why we assume it was always be there. And then and in, in the paper we are talking about my research, I also give some examples of um, um, xenophobia and how it manifested in history. Nowadays, right, we, of course, see in some, in some uh, political environments, more acceptance of this, right? So maybe being a racist is not something that is, that is accepted in 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 society but being afraid of something you don't know might be more acceptable now than it was um a few years ago so in that sense it might be more politically correct however that only um of course um applies to at least as we see it in in most european countries to a minority group right so it's not always that is something that it's actually accepted by the by the majority of a country but maybe in some countries we can see and um, see our uh, higher acceptance of xenophobia yes especially if some if, if explanations are used as the one that i have used before well look xenophobia is actually not something bad it's just a normal part of um, human biology but that is of course a very flawed assumption because you can never use biological um, explanation to actually justify behavior that discriminates people because of some characteristics like the gender or their origin.
0: This, This is a little bit counterintuitive to what most people talk about when they're talking about travel. Because if you go back to some of the original travel researchers, they would say... That people travel specifically to find something that's different. Because if that's not what you're going for, then why are you leaving your home area, anyways? Like, that's kind of the the major point of travel. So, in your research, did you know what did you find? Are people that are more xenophobic not traveling, or are they still traveling? And does that change their perceptions of people who are different?
1: So, the first as you correctly said, counterintuitive finding is that, yes, people who are higher on xenophobia, so more xenophobic people, actually travel and they also travel abroad. So it's not that they stay in their own country and don't want to get in touch with foreigners, foreign things, foreign values, foreign customs, foreign smells. No, they actually travel abroad. But what we found is that xenophobe, is travelling very differently. And I can give you a few few examples how this manifests. And that is, is, of course, interesting for us as researchers, but also very interesting for tourism managers who want to understand how this um, tourist segment actually travels and what are their preferences. So one example we found, or for example, one thing we found is that, yes, a xenophobic tourist actually travels abroad, but he prefers to travel as part of a group. So group travel is a much more important characteristic of his travel pattern compared to a tourist who is not xenophobic in that sense. Also, xenophobic tourists have a higher likelihood to avoid the exotic food that they might might be exposed to at the foreign destination. So they rather go with the safe food option And maybe to give you an example, um, if someone goes abroad and let's, let's pretend he or she is high on xenophobia, there might be a higher likelihood that he or she actually sticks with a restaurant he knows from home, like a restaurant like McDonald's, for example, and not try the local food. So that is that is a way to to being abroad, but still being reminded of the home country and not uh, risking too much because what we know, and now I'm referring again to evolutionary, to our evolutionary roots, is that taking in food that we actually don't know about can be very risky. It can be be very risky and that is something we refer to as Darwinian gastronomy, stemming from Charles Darwin, the the famous um, evolutionary biologist. So the whole food, um, the whole food thing, the behavior um, tourists engage in when being abroad can be understood through their food choices. And also what might be counterintuitive, uh, more xenophobic tourists also have a higher higher likelihood to get a vaccination before. So travel vaccination before traveling abroad. Because again, um, getting a vaccination might lower their perceived risk of getting ill when going abroad. And these are all um, um, different characteristics of the behavioral pattern of a xenophobic traveler. So understanding all these preferences of a xenophobic traveler helps, of course, um, tourism managers to understand their preferences better and to actually tailor products, but also helps us to understand human behavior better. Because no one would has actually linked um, food preferences with xenophobia before, or food pref or um, xenophobia with vaccination before. But both are very important things. And if we refer to some some uh, um, papers in tourism research, we find that up to one third of the travel budget is actually spent on food when traveling abroad. So understanding that a xenophobe actually spends his or her food. How his or her money on food in a very different way, is extremely interesting for tourism managers.
0: It sounds like a lot of this xenophobia and actions people take when they're traveling is very closely rated, related to risk. Um, if somebody has a fear of something different, then they view doing those things as risky and and yes. that goes back to this evolutionary psychology where it's like, exactly, you know, maybe the person who ate the food that they were familiar with didn't get sick and die. And the people who were a little bit more adventurous did because Correct. it was actually something that was bad for them or their stomach couldn't Correct. handle or something like that. In my mind, when I started thinking about xenophobia, I thought about it in, in negative terms, like being xenophobic is bad. but. Yeah. Is that necessarily the case? Like, is having a fear of something different intrinsically a bad thing? Or is it more what you do about it that makes it good or bad?
1: That is a very important question. And that is a question that is often, or at, at least the opinions people have about this question can also be misleading and misunderstood. So let me try to be very, very clear here. Often evolutionary explanations like this one, they can be misused in a way that we use them to to justify something. Look, there is an evolutionary explanation. So maybe xenophobia actually isn't that bad. It's completely natural. Well, while we find an explanation for that, that it might have a natural core in in our world that we live in today, very civilized world and with a high amount of culture, of course, we should try to overcome such biases. So in my opinion, I want to provide an explanation why xenophobia exists. But at the same time, I don't want this research to be used as, as a justification for why xenophobia might actually not be bad, because how it is mani- or how it does manifest in our today's lives it manifests in a way that it has negative consequences, almost exclusively negative consequences, because in our lives, there's no rational argument why we should be afraid of a foreigner or more afraid of a foreigner than someone who is from our own country. So also, and that, that is one point. And the second point I want to wanna, wanna, wanna highlight is that foreignness is in the eye of the beholder then my neighbor living next door, he might be a foreigner to me as much as someone who comes from another country like an immigrant and decides to, to, and to live next to me. So foreignness is always a very subjective term. My neighbor, let's say, so I'm from Germany, my neighbor is Germany, he can still be a foreigner to me. So foreign, foreignness is always a very relative term. And as I said, it stems from the evolutionary function it had to prevent harm from the person right, who is a xenophobic person. But in our today's world, at least, if you, you might, be, might say that xenophobia is not bad itself, but the consequences xenophobia has in our today's lives is very negative.
0: What are the consequences?
1: Well, the consequences is that, of course, we judge people by some extrinsic characteristics. If the xenophobic tourist is going abroad, and let's 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 assume he or she is xenophobic, then of course she is very reluctant to get in touch with a foreigner. Although this foreigner might be a very nice foreigner, and this foreigner offers to help the tourist to show him or her the the way to the hotel. And of course, just judging a person based on this characteristic, ah, he looks a bit different than I do, is of course irrational and it might even prevent interaction between cultures interaction between ethnicities and so on and so on so just judging people by 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 um, an external characteristic is bad well that is one side but why do we do that all the time well the reason why we do that is because it saves time and that is something for example fiske and Kari have Uh, formalized in the stereotype content model, right? We use stereotypes. So you can actually refer to xenophobia as one very broad stereotype, right? A stereotype that applies to all foreigners. And we use stereotypes because it saves us time. We don't know how this person actually is. Is it a nice person? Is it not a nice person? So we use stereotypes, which serve as shortcuts, mental shortcuts, and we use them as a rule of thumb well maybe this person is this age it's he has this ethnicity i might not ask him to help me with my luggage i ask another person that might look more similar to 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 um to my own ethnicity and we do that because it it makes life easier we have incomplete information and yeah xenophobia as many other stereotypes is a mental shortcut again I don't want this to be used as a justification, why we use it, but at least it's an exp- explanation why it's so prevalent and why why we encounter it so often, not only in the political f- sphere, but also in the social sphere. And yeah, tourism is a very um, important manifestation of xenophobia. And that's why we merged these two interesting areas, tourism and xenophobia.
0: One of the things that researchers have said for a very long time is that travel is a very good way to combat things like xenophobia. Yes. And so in your research, have you found that if people do travel more, if they travel to different places, does that change their perceptions of people who are different?
1: Very important question. Very interesting question. Thank you for this one, Evan. So... When we, when we do such studies, of course, we often always have the chicken-egg problem. There are people who travel more, and then these people are less xenophobic. We haven't talked about that in this paper, we have, but we have collected data on that. But then we actually don't know, well, are they now less xenophobic because they traveled so much, or did they travel so much because they were less xenophobic? So we have this classical chicken-egg problem. Unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have data that shows a clear um, causal effect between traveling and then lowering stereotypes, xenophobia, racism, and all the other social biases that um, that um, society is suffering from. So unfortunately, at the moment, I cannot talk about the causal effect. But I also know about this research that puts forward that tourism is a way to lower stereotypes, lower negative attitudes. So that might help, however, and that is, that is a hypothesis we are now following in an ongoing research paper. Maybe it's not only the contact that people have, let's say a xenophobe traveling abroad and then the encounter with a local. So, but it's actually the quality of the encounter. And just imagine if you, in my paper, I talk about potential risks, as you correctly said, and potential threats so if xenophobe is afraid of becoming a victim when traveling abroad ah this this uh, local might be a bit dodgy and he might actually be involved in some uh, tourist fraud so i better stay away and of course having such a negative attitude might result in a self-fulfilling prophecy because if i have such a negative attitude it will color how i interact with a foreigner when i have to interact with him or her so the overall outcome might be negative because i'm already starting this conversation with a negative attitude so it would be a negative self-fulfilling prophecy which would then actually result in more xenophobic tendencies so this is something we try to disentangle at the moment that it's not only the mere contact that a person or a tourist has with the local when traveling abroad, but it's the quality of the contact, whether it was a good experience or a bad experience.
0: I'm, I'm sitting here thinking as I listen to you talking about xenophobia and wondering what is the difference between being xenophobic and just being somebody who's not very adventurous? Like, is there an easy way to delineate between those two things?
1: Well, xenophobia, first and foremost, has has a political or or socio-psychological dimension. And for that reason, it has always been measured toward other people. So someone can be very, um, as you said, very adventurous when it comes to um, trying new products. That's what we often refer to as being very high on promotion focus, right? That's a socio-psychological theory called regulatory focus. And of course, such a people can be very adventurous, but at the same time avoid social contact with foreigners. So these two things actually might might work well, well together. To we had included in in one of our last questionnaires such items to find out whether there's a correlation between, for example, novelty seeking and xenophobia. Sino- and we actually found that people can be high on novelty seeking, but at the same time, be very xenophobic because when they only interact, let's say, um, um, with predictable um, objects, watching a new movie, um, trying this new product, they might be high on novelty seeking. But when it comes to social interaction, right, engaging with foreigners, something that is actually less predictable, right, than 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 a bungee jump, for example, is, right, you would consider someone who does bungee jumping as being very high on on um, novelty seeking, very high on being adventurous, and so on and so on. So we try to disentangle that, but. And that is also what we made made clear in the paper. Even in psychology, there is very few research on xenophobia, and that is surprising because when we when when we read the media, not only the European media but the U.S. media, xenophobia is an often used word. As as I say in my paper, it was was um, it was um, awarded as word of the year by the Time magazine in 2016. But there is not. A lot of research and we need more research on xenophobia, not only how it manifests in tourism, but how it manifests in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the political world, how it in, in manifests in, in consumer behavior, in medical institutions. We don't really know a lot about it. So that's also why it might be hard to find a definitive answer to your question. Well, are these different constructs? We say, yes, they are different concepts, but there's much more research needed to have um, empirical proof for it.
0: The reason I was particularly interested in, in the differentiation between those two things is one of the things that I asked you to do before we did this podcast interview was to take my uh, traveler personality quiz. Yes. And in that quiz, essentially what it measures is adventurousness. And yes. I'm actually really glad that you said, you know, those two things are different because, you know, I'm I'm worried that. My quiz might be telling people they're either xenophobic or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. but it sounds like they're very different things, so that's good. And so I'm curious, you, you took the quiz, and uh, can you tell us what your result was?:
1: Yes, I, just just one one thing. I think you had one question in your in your quiz, which is question number eight, and that is, I get nervous easily in unfamiliar places. Right, this is probably a question that taps a little bit into a xenophobic mindset, but of course the others I think they are they are very very different. So the factor of control, of uh, locus of control, right? It's a very important factor that we try to use to dis distinguish adventurism and xenophobia. On the other hand, right? So when it's under my control, I can handle new things, but when it's not under my control, and that is of course uh an implication of interacting with others. It's not under my control. Then it's probably um a very, very different story and something that is covered by by the phenomenon we label it as xenophobia. So I took your quiz and uh I, I liked it very much because we usually ask people as researchers what they think. And it's good good to good to be on, on the respondent side. And my my result was that I was a trendsetter, I suppose.
0: And so that is the the most adventurous traveler personality that you could possibly be. Uh, do okay. you think that's do you think that's accurate?
1: Uh, I I think it's accurate. I think it's accurate. However, I have to say that it, that it depends. I probably take one holiday a year where I try to be very adventurous where I try to Get myself into a new situation to experience something new, also experience situations where I'm challenging, challenged, cultural challenge. But then on the other hand, I also want to have at least one holiday year where I really want to feel comfortable, where I don't want to go to a familiar, um, uh, where I don't want to go to an unfamiliar place, where I want to re- relax. So I probably like both. And this is, of course, something something where we always ask as psychologists, is there really something like a personality trait or is it also context dependent? So in my case, I would say, OK, my level of um, of novelty seeking or so seeking something new, being uh, being on an adventure is probably context dependent. But overall, I think it's, it's a good one. I can call myself a trend trendset according to your voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, yeah, this is something that I, I talk about a lot of a lot of times with people yeah. who have taken the quiz is this is kind of a, in general, what type of traveler are you? But yes. of course, when I'm traveling by myself, I do very different things than when I'm traveling with my family. You know, I have a two-year-old son and just by nature, he can only do certain things and I'm not going to put him in as much risk as I would put myself in. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think just like regular personality, it changes over time. So it changes by context. It changes as you develop as a person. Uh, I'm also I'm really glad that you were able to kind of to show me that that question in there that tapped in maybe a little bit to xenophobia, um, because it's really interesting how all of these things are a little bit related. And it kind of shows, I think, like you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about how all of these things are related psychologically in terms of, you know, how do you measure the difference between those two things? It's really difficult.
1: Exactly, exactly. It is really difficult. And of course, we as researchers don't know about the causal links between all these concepts, but also tourists don't know, right? No no tourist would actually relate his or her political opinion to his travel behavior and to his food preferences, right? So a lot of different different links that are yet to be dis- discovered. So that's what we tried, of course, with this uh, paper. And I hope that this paper on, uh, on xenophobia is not the final or the, the end of a research agenda, but can actually spur a re- research agenda, because we have to understand much, much more about these underlying mechanisms. And that's also what I tried to do in my other paper on ethnocentrism, where I talked or about the positive side of being affiliated with one country being a patriotic tourist. So this is a completely different story. But um, we're trying to get a more complete pictures with all these studies and how how, and how the different underlying deep-rooted psychological concepts actually related and then consequently impact uh, tourist behavior.
0: And it's it's interesting that you mention that because I I really don't think anybody is sitting there thinking, I'm xenophobic, and how is that going to impact where I go? It's <laughs> exactly. just,
1: it just happens. It just, it just happens in, uh, in intuitively. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious because one of the things that I like to always do in my podcast episodes is to try and make this relevant to somebody who's going to be traveling and yes. have them think like, what does this mean for me? So let's say somebody is listening to the podcast and they're thinking oh you know sometimes i'm a little bit afraid of somebody who is different sometimes uh this makes me nervous you know what what do they do you know let's say they have decided hey maybe i don't want to be that way how how can they change their how can they change their perceptions of those things
1: of course, first and foremost, it's totally normal of what you just said, right? That we are maybe not afraid of foreigners, but we might have some reservation, especially when we travel to a country we haven't been to before, which is culturally very different from our own country, right? We, it's 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 very very uh, normal to feel more vulnerable than you would feel on a on a trip um, trip at trip at home. Of course one one question is should it be counter or is it just how the person behaves as i said before maybe xenophobia itself is not something bad but it can lead to very bad consequences right and of course we talk about a very benign form a very mild form of xenophobia with that's why we actually um developed this phenomenon of xenophobia in a tourism construct right which which might be less less hostile than uh, than uh, xenophobia dimension that, that we that we can observe in the in the political um, domain so that is that is the first question i want to raise and i cannot 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 answer it right maybe is it is it really necessary that we fight against such a such a such a this um predisposition especially if it doesn't have negative consequences but of course it might have the um, negative con- consequence especially if someone actually wants to get in touch right what he wants to get in touch but he's just um still is still afraid of that of course we could start by looking into the results of our paper because all the behavioral responses right that we have identified like um traveling in a group right um getting a travel vaccination booking through a domestic travel organization all these Behaviors are actually uh, compensatory behavioral intentions in that more xenophobic people engage in to be able to travel abroad while at the still, but while at the same time being being xenophobic. So that is probably something um, that might be that might be um, um, advisable that when people want to travel abroad, then they at least try to lower and of course we're now talking about the perceived risk we're not talking about the actual risk right so it's a subjective level of risk that people feel they are exposed to when traveling abroad but they can engage in all these behaviors as i as i just uh, mentioned so that is probably the, the the easiest the easiest way to to counter it of course a different um a different implication for the traveling tourist might also be To travel to countries that are not that culturally different. When an American is traveling, um, let's say to Australia, right? Even a more xenophobic tourist would probably not feel as threatened as if the same person traveled to Southeast Asia, because Southeast Asia is more culturally different. And that is that is um, and something I would probably um, I would probably suggest. And I can give you an example that's actually how it is with my grandparents. So my grandparents traveled a lot, but um, in the old days they usually traveled in Europe and then they wanted to travel abroad and I could tell that there might be of course no hostile xenophobia, but just a just a, a certain level of anxiety what they can expect when they travel to a completely culturally different different um Uh, different country so what did they do in the end of course they traveled with an organization with a travel agency so they traveled abroad while at the same time being part of this domestic travel agency with a with a, a travel guide speaking speaking their language and being in the bus with all the other people from germany around them so that might probably be a good good way of getting 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 started and that's what people actually do that's what people actually do and there's a big industry in most countries that caters for these people but now we actually know why or at least found another reason why this is so popular and why so many people seek this kind of holiday
0: well i'm really glad that you mentioned it's it's a normal thing to feel and you know in in many instances if there's no negative consequences it's not necessarily a bad thing Even. So I I think it's really important for our listeners to, you know, if if you have those feelings about travel, you know, it's not necessarily something to be ashamed about, um, you know, unless you're spouting off, you know, hateful things to people as you you go to other countries. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It's completely normal. But of course, knowing about it and consciously reflecting on it, it might actually help you to overcome it. So, so this is also another implication that I that I want want to be highlighted. That xenophobia itself it's a normal thing. It has some evolutionary roots, and especially how it manifests in the tourism domain is something that is in most cases not very negative. It doesn't have negative consequences. But being aware of it, um, it might actually enable the very individual tourist to overcome it. And if our paper can be a first little step toward overcoming it, I would already be happy.
0: Well, I think that's a a perfect takeaway for this episode of the podcast. So Florian, I want to thank you again for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate you taking your time to do this.
1: Thank you very much, Evan. Um, It was great to be part of this podcast.